Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Hulkcast. And while you may be wondering, this intro doesn't have the normal Canadian twang, then you will be right. Cole has, in fact, been sacked. Now I'm only messing. He's handed responsibility over to me on this occasion. And to help me settle into the hosting hot seat, I'm joined by Sky Sports presenter and friend Mark McAdam, who is here to look eagerly ahead towards the next nine months of drama-filled Premier League action. How are you, Mark? Yeah, good. Thanks, Sebastian. Yeah, good. So obviously with fans being back in stadiums and you working closely with football, how are you excited to see how they'll return back? I'm so excited. I had my first Soccer Saturday game at the weekend with fans, proper fans, not just a couple of thousand. Uh, and, and it was incredible. Even before the game, between sort of 2.15 and, and 3 o'clock, every single fan that was in that terrace was chanting, was cheering was shouting and the atmosphere was just brilliant and getting up to the TV gantry. You just felt like it was a special event. It, it felt it felt really, really good to hear. There was a nice little banter between the fans. I think that's always something that, that the football fans love is that little bit of a joke, the little quip and you've got a good song. We'll come back at you with another song and then we'll come back at you with an even better song. And that's what football's all about. Um, the only disappointing thing was there, was there was no car parking and there was loads of traffic around the stadium. Fans are back. <laughs> The traffic's back, but I don't care about the traffic because having that noise in the stadiums, and particularly for those players, is what football's all about. And, and it was so special. So, um, yeah, delighted to have fans back. And, and finally, after a really, really tough you know, season and a bit, it, um, it really feels like football's back now and we can all start to get excited for what should be an incredible new campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't change it for the world. Looking towards the transfer market, obviously we've got three or four weeks left and it's mostly been from an outsider's view that Premier Leagues are being the one that's spending the big money. You look at La Liga and Barcelona and Real Madrid struggles have been intensified massively. Obviously, we'll leave PSG out of this equation. But other than that, do you expect English clubs to be more successful domestically due to the transfer windows, bigger prices being English dominated? Well, it's funny, isn't it? You look over the course of the Champions League at the last sort of 10 to 15 years, and there has been some spells where English Premier League sides have dominated. And you've seen, you know, the semi-finals being contested by two, maybe even three Premier League sides. You've seen Premier League sides get to the final regularly. Um, and obviously, you know, it goes in waves where they have a successful period and then the Italians will be there or thereabouts, or you will have the Spanish that will be there or thereabouts. Um, but generally, over the last 10 to 15 years, there's always been Premier League sides that have been right up the sharp end of the Champions League. Like you've rightly touched upon, Sebastian, things financially within Europe are really, really strained at the moment. The pandemic has hit those football clubs really significantly. You know, particularly when you look at the likes of Inter Milan, who won the Serie A title, they've sold their best their best player in Romelu Lukaku. 
and there's talk about them signing Lautaro Martinez. And where would you see a, a, a side win the domestic title and then sell their best players? They keep their best players and add to it. That gives you an indication as to just how things are tight financially in Italy at the moment. You look at La Liga and, and obviously everyone knows that Barcelona have been in a really tough spot for the last couple of years. I don't think anyone quite realised, myself included, at just how poorly that club had been run over the course of the last few seasons. They're in a, you know, a billion pounds worth of debt. They've let Lionel Messi go on a free transfer. Um, and of course, the players that they have signed on free transfers, they're not even able to register them yet as players because they all fall over the, the, the threshold for financial fair play. Um, so that, that, that club's in a, a real state. Um, so once again, you, you look at the English Premier League sides who have all been affected by the pandemic, but they can still go out and spend money in the transfer window. And I think that's a huge credit to, to Sky Sports, to BT Sport, to the media companies that invest so heavily in the English Premier League because it is the most watched league in the world. People want to watch it. People want to know everything about every team and every player. And therefore, the money that that generates has enabled the clubs in this country to carry on as they have been. Obviously, they've lost money and they've had to be more careful and they haven't spent as much. But what you're seeing now is, is the, the results of a really strong, stable environment, really strong Premier League setup um, where the clubs have been supported financially. So what that means is they can go and sign the players they want, which means the teams are going to be stronger. And like you rightly say, means they'll probably get to the latter stage of the Champions League for the next few years, whilst the teams in Europe just address that balance and, and get their financial house in order. Yeah, massively. I think you smashed it. I mean, we're seeing now that La Liga are earning rights for English TV and I think Serie A have done the same now. So they're obviously seeing where the money's come from and trying to hop on that trend. If I were to ask you for a specific team, who would you put your money on English team wise to do best in Europe? Well, I think automatically you would have to point to Chelsea. I think Thomas Tuchel understands how to set up a side in the Champions League. Um, clearly, they're a stronger side than when they won it, which seems quite bizarre because of the, the signing of Romelu Lukaku. He's a man at 28 years old, will guarantee you goals, particularly in the Premier League, particularly in the Champions League. So you'd, you'd, have, to, you'd have to say Chelsea would probably, probably be the favourites. You know that Manchester City are going to be there or thereabouts because of the, the quality they have. Pep Guardiola has not won the Champions League with Man City. He got so close last season. Um, so you know that there will be a real threat. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's not what your question was, but PSG, everyone is going to be talking about them every single week throughout the course of this season, every single time they play in the Champions League. That's the competition the owners want. That's the competition the fans want to win. Uh, and they now, without question, have a side that can do it. And let's be honest, should win it easily. So, um, you know, I know they're not in the Premier League, but, but certainly they are going to be, you know, those three sides will be, you know, if they weren't all in the semi-finals, uh, then I would be surprised. <laughs> yeah, you're right, to be fair. Do you think it's a Man City versus PSG's uh, Champions League to lose? Um, well, you, you certainly look at, on paper that that would be, you know, that would be probably the predicted final, depending on the draw. However, football's not played on paper. Um, and, you know, Messi could get injured. Messi could not be, a, you know, a big factor. Um, you know, Manchester City could strengthen. They could get Harry Kane. 
they might not get Harry Kane. They might not have a world-class striker. Uh, so that's going to affect them. Uh, and of course, you, you know, you've got all sorts of other sides that will be there or thereabouts. You know, Juventus with Cristiano Ronaldo, they're always going to be a threat. Um, and, and the big sides, AC Milan, you've seen Ajax that have got to the latter stages of the competition in the last few years because they've got a really strong academy and good young players coming through. Borussia Dortmund will be dangerous. You know, you've got someone called er Erling Haaland who's in the side and everyone is worried about the threat that he poses. So there's no question that, that, that you know, when you've got a goal scorer in your outfit, um, that you're going to be a side. You're going to be a difficult team to break down and to play against. And, um, you know, when you've got a goal scorer of his quality there, they are going to be uh, very special. You can never ignore, ignore Real Madrid, you know, a side filled with, with quality uh, and players that love playing in the Champions League. Obviously, they've lost significant players. You know, Gareth Bale's coming towards the end of his contract there. They've lost Sergio Ramos uh, and they're struggling as well financially. So they might not be as strong, but you can never write them off because it's Real Madrid. And this is the competition that they were they were designed to win season upon season. So it, what it does is it creates a, a really exciting Champions League. You know that the English Premier League sides are going to be really excited about the competition there's some some really good teams, you know, that are, that are being built at the moment uh, in this country. Uh, and I think it's going to be fascinating uh, and it's going to be really, really exciting to watch this season because um, it feels a bit like you've got four or five sides that could genuinely sort of be there or thereabouts. Um, and luckily for us, most of them are English. Yeah, you mentioned Haaland there and you also mentioned Lukaku obviously recently joining Chelsea. Haaland being partnered up with Donald Marlon, who they've recently signed from the Dutch league. Who would you say is your deal of the window so far? And that can be any league and any player and any price. <laughs> what a great question, Sebastian. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? You, you know, you'd, you'd have to look really at PSG, you know, mainly because of the, the free trans, you know, you sign Messi on a free transfer. That's a good deal. You know, you sign Sergio Ramos on a free transfer. That's a good deal. Um, you know, Saden, uh, Jaden Sancho has gone to Manchester United, you know, a lot less than what he was uh, rumoured to be going there for this time last year. So Manchester United clearly have got a, a better financial package for him. So that's good. Um Oh, you put me on the spot and I'm just trying to think of, of someone that, you know, is, is, a, is a great deal, great transfer. It's got to be messy, isn't it? You know, when you sign a player of his quality, what he'll bring to the club, to the dressing room, to the club shop, to, um, you know, the, the whole feel of, of French football. He's put French football on the map. Um, you know, this is a league now that everyone in England, everyone in Spain the whole of South America, they will be tuning in to watch PSG games. And, you know, the buzz that he's created, you saw the TV pictures on Sky Sports News, you know, people outside his house, people outside the uh, Parc de France, people just want to get a glimpse of him. Uh, and I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've, I've watched him live um, when he played for Barcelona. He was um, in the, the famous MSN, Messi, Suarez, Neymar, front three, uh, it was a game uh, at um, Las Palmas and I was sat in the stands thinking I'm watching one of the, if not the greatest footballers to ever play the game. Uh, and this is a moment I will remember for the rest of my life because it's not very often you get those opportunities to watch the real greats. 
Um, so I think Messi on a free transfer, Seb, has to be the deal of the window. Yeah, that's really interesting that. Would you say that he's a better outfit than Cristiano Ronaldo at the moment? Who who would you say takes your bet? <laughs> the famous oh, old question. Yeah, no. I think it's it's... Do you know what? I think it's really interesting because this season at PSG could define the answer to that question. You know, the one thing that people have always said is that Cristiano Ronaldo has done it in the Premier League. He's done it in La Liga. He's done it in Syria and he's done it for Portugal. Uh, And Messi has only ever done it in a great Barcelona team. Now Messi has won the Copa America. So... He's now got silverware for Argentina, which is something he didn't have until this summer. So that question and that part of the argument is now gone. He's now going into another league. And now clearly, you know, let's be honest, the French league isn't the same as the Premier League. It's not got the same quality and it's not got the same strengths throughout all 20 sides. So the level isn't going to be as intense as what he would have been up against if he'd gone to the Premier League. Um, But clearly, if he can go into that, PSG side and score 30 plus goals a season and win the Champions League that might just settle the debate Messi is the greatest if he doesn't win any silverware significantly and remember PSG didn't win the title last year you know that is what a lot of people forget you know Maurizio Pochettino was there they didn't win the title so therefore they've got to regain that title back and they've got to win the Champions League and if Messi is a huge part of that side that does that there will be the, 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 you know, the questions about who is the greatest will slowly slide away because you'd almost have to say, well, he won the Champions League with Barcelona. He won the Champions League with PSG. He won four, five, six, seven titles um, in France. So therefore, he's done it in two different countries. So therefore, now he is the greatest. And of course, don't forget, next year, the World Cup, Argentina, could that be the highlight of Messi's career? We may not have seen it yet. We may get to see it in 2022. And that is what will fill everyone with excitement. That's really interesting you mentioned that because Argentina have obviously just come off the back of winning the Copa America, largely down to Messi's goals. And in fact, the Villa goalkeeper, Emi Martinez's influence between the sticks. I think Messi came out himself and said that he feels Martinez was almost the catalyst to him winning a trophy and that he's really grateful for his efforts. Do you think that Argentina are in a good place heading into the World Cup, a better place than they have been in previous years? Absolutely. You know that Argentina in the World Cup are going to be a threat. With Messi, they're going to be a threat. With Martinez, they're going to be a threat. Um, Anything about that side means that they will be difficult to play against. The South American teams, Brazil, Argentina... Uh, Paraguay, you know, all of those sides have got so much quality and they're resolute and they're difficult to beat and they're powerful and they just bring a certain charisma to the way they play football. Uh, and that's what's exciting about the World Cup is it's, it's, you know, teams from all over the globe that come together with their own styles and their own history and you, you don't know how some of them are going to be. You know that a side with Messi and are going to be good. You know that an Argentina team that have won the Copa America are on a high, they've got a buzz and a confidence about them. They're going to go there thinking, we can win the World Cup as well. You know, you look at what Spain have done in the past. You look at what France have done recently. You've seen it with Germany. They win one competition and they get really close to winning another 
or going on to win it. And I, and I think you might have that little bit of a feel-good factor around the Argentina side at the moment. And, um, you know, if, uh, if Messi scores 38 goals for PSG uh, next season and then goes into that uh, World Cup off the back of that kind of confidence, there's no question he will be a confident player in the World Cup. Bringing it back to the Premier League for a moment, obviously we'll have the return of fans now. Something I noticed last year was we didn't really get to the November, December stage without managers being axed or facing real pressure. Obviously, I think that could have been defined by the fact that fans weren't in the stadiums to be able to criticise and show their thoughts. You know, often when they're giving their thoughts on their club on social media, uh, teams can often ignore that or do their best to almost hide away from that. Do you think we could see some early sackings this year because of the return of fans? And if so, who? <laughs> you like putting me on the spot, don't you, Sebastian? Um, well, I, I certainly think that there are a number of clubs that, that massively suffered um, with, without fans, you know, the likes of Liverpool, uh, Sheffield United. Clearly, those sides would have been much better with the backing and the support that they, they get from their fans. Uh, and perhaps there'd be one or two sides that actually may have benefited as well, because sometimes when you go to some grounds, the team don't play well, they don't start well, they don't pass the ball. There's a negativity around in the atmosphere and there's, there's a few moans and groans and you know that will affect the players. So it'd be interesting to see the sides that did well last season and how they fare this season off the back of, of the fans being there. Uh, in terms of the managerial sackings, I, I rightly agree with you. There would have been two or three managers that would have probably gone by October or November because, um, you know, that the teams weren't playing well. They weren't, they weren't doing what the fans would have liked, but they were getting away with it because th there was no audible noise. You know, when, when the halftime whistle goes and the team's greeted by boos as they head down the tunnel, you know the fans aren't happy. At full time, if there's boos ringing around the stadium, you know the fans aren't happy. And sometimes you've seen banners and you've seen chants and you've seen all that kind of stuff. If that's not happening, then it changes the whole dynamic of a football club. So I think every manager will be aware that fans will make a huge difference to the outcome of, of their season this season. And quite rightly so, if, if the things aren't going well, the fans are going to let everyone know about it. You know, the fans have been starved of watching live football over the course of the last 18 months. Now they're back. They're going to be more passionate than ever before. And if that means they're not happy with the manager of the team, the performances, the results, then they're going to let people know. Um, it's difficult to say uh, about who's going to get sacked. I don't think anyone will, you know, I don't want anyone to get sacked, of course, because, um, you know, you want everyone to stay in a job and, and things. But football is football. It's a results-driven business. If you don't win games, then you're going to be looking at the exit. And, um, and, that's, and that's the issue is, you know, this season, there's going to be a lot of intensity on things, particularly with the clubs in the Premier League. You do not want to finish in the bottom three because, as we know, the finances, when you drop down to the championship, uh, you know, are nowhere near what you get in the top flight. So, therefore, you need to make sure you stay in this Premier League because the owners will be saying, we need to stay in the Premier League. We cannot afford at this particular stage of, of the club's history to be heading down to the championship because financially it won't work out. So, the pressure will be on those sides in and around the bottom five or six come March, April, because if you're down there and in, in with the shout of getting relegated, you're in big trouble. No, it's critical, isn't it? I mean, I look at teams that could get dragged into it and it seems this year more than ever, there's so many teams that could be involved in a battle. Obviously you've got the obvious favourites, Norwich, 
And then Brentford are an unknown quantity in the Premier League with Watford having just come back up as well. I think you then look at Palace and you think that they've obviously had a massive squad overhaul and it's a lot of time for their new young signings to gel. Obviously, most of them are young players who will come into a promising team, but having so many, it can often take time to work together and get the results going, especially with a new manager playing a new philosophy. I think Wolves really lag, lack squad depth at the moment. I think a few injuries and we could see them plummet completely. Newcastle, obviously, their only aim, I think, with Steve Bruce at the helm is just to stay up. But obviously, there's only so many seasons that you can do that and you can battle against the drop. If you had to put your money on three teams to go down, and I know this is an awful question because there's so many that could could face the drop. But if you had to put your money on three, who would you be going for? Once again, Sebastian, you're putting me on the spot. You like doing that, don't you? Um it's so hard, honestly. You know, we've still got a little bit of the transfer window to go, and that clearly will change the dynamic in some teams. You could get Brentford that signed two or three players, uh, and suddenly you think, wow, you know, they could be they could be you know strong this season. They could they could finish outside the top three nice and easily. Same with Newcastle. Same with Southampton. They've signed some really exciting, young, promising players, uh, and that's the thing about those. They could be brilliant. They could not work out. They could need some time to adjust to the Premier League and, and first teams football. Um, you know, like you've touched upon, Newcastle uh, will be, you know, probably won't be in the top half of the table. I think it's fair to say, uh, based on the, the spending at the moment. Uh, you know that the three sides that have come up are going to find it a real challenge. Uh, Watford, I, you know, something about Watford, they've, they've signed some experience and they've signed some players with pace. And I think in the Premier League, experience and pace will, will be a big, huge asset. You know that Norwich are going to be down the bottom half of the table. Are they going to be better than they were when they were last in the Premier League, where they only won four matches? Definitely. Are they going to be, um, you know, in the top half? No. Um, so they will struggle um, to, to, to pick up points. But there's no question, Daniel Farker, Stuart Webber, the players would have learned a lot from their experience when they got relegated a couple of seasons back. So you know that, that, that you know they're going to be a very different side and, and probably more difficult to beat. Brentford are a little bit of an unknown because you just look at them and the way they recruit. It's very unique to them, but it works. They make it work. How many goals will Ivan Tony get in the Premier League? That is going to be fascinating. Over 30 goals last season in the Championship. What a signing he was for them. And knowing Ivan, as I do, a confident lad, he doesn't want to score 15 goals in the Premier League. He wants to get over 30 goals again because that's what you know what he wants. That's the type of character and mentality he has. Be interesting to see how, how he gets on. Like you say, Seb, Wolves will be will be an interesting one with no Nuno. So therefore that will be a challenge. Palace will be an interesting one because you know, new manager, young players. Um, but you've got someone called Wilfred Zaha in the side who will always bring you goals and quality and assists. It's so difficult to pinpoint some teams that you think will be down there. I think all of the ones that we've mentioned will be will be sort of bottom half of, of the table. But in what order? We don't know. And that's why it's so exciting because we watch it because we don't know what's going to happen week in, week out. You could see Brentford beat Manchester City. You could see Norwich beat Liverpool. 
uh, and you could see Watford beat Manchester United. And that's why we love the Premier League. No, exactly. Exactly. Careful you don't get any splinters from sitting on the fence too much here. <laughs> um, <laughs> looking I, at... Um... I've been like a politician. <laughs> you've, asked, you've asked me questions and I've never given you a very good answer, I'm afraid. <laughs> I mean, you're going into detail and on podcasts, that's the main thing. So um, <laughs> you me- you mentioned Ivan Tony. obviously Lukaku's been mentioned as well. I think when you look at top scorers for this year, it's a really difficult one because Kane's obviously had that saga hanging over his shoulders all season round. So we don't know how he's going to start with that. I mean, Mane and Firmino are obviously very Liverpool dependent. They massively struggled last year and if they were to accumulate the same points tally as they did, as much as I can't see it, then their players won't be in a shout for a top scorer. Ivan Tony, he could come in and he could replicate his championship form. Obviously, there's people like Callum Wilson as well who are underdogs. Danny Ings recently moving clubs. He, I think he was third in the charts for non-penalty goals last season. Um and if Villa get off to a good start, then I don't see why there's any reason why he can't be involved. City obviously don't have an out-and-out striker, but they like to play with a false nine. So maybe if they're one of their wingers chipped in, if Sterling has the form that he did in the Euros, then he could quite easily be up there. Mares as well. I think the difficulty with City, though, is because of Pep's love for rotating players, it's quite difficult for any of them to find a natural rhythm and to genuinely put a threat to top scorer who would who would you go for for top scorer like you say it's, it's a really difficult uh, thing I'm going to try and jump off the fence because um, I want to give you an answer this time and I think you'd have to look at the goals that Lukaku has scored over the course of the last year uh, he's, he's scored over 200 career goals uh, we know he scored goals at Manchester United we know he scored goals at Everton and West Brom and the chances are he will score goals at Chelsea. No question about that, because he's, he's got that ability and he's in the prime of his career. The uncertainty over Harry Kane um, may, may prove to be a problem. But Harry Kane could stay at Tottenham and go, right, I'm going to go and prove everyone wrong. I'm going to go and work harder than I've ever worked before. And I'm going to go and win another golden boot. Um, you know, and that's the type of quality he has. Um, and, and like you say, you know, the, you know, the, the Grealishes, the Sterlings, the Mareses, the Kevin De Bruyne's, all those players at Manchester City. You look at the exciting young talent that, that Manchester United have going forward with um, Rashford, who's obviously injured at the moment. But you've got Jadon Sancho, who we know can score goals. Um, that's going to be, you know, really, really interesting. You know, Bruno Fernandes will chip in. You know, the front three at Liverpool will, will nick a few. Uh, but I think Lukaku, I think him going into that Chelsea side, I think you've got a player there that will that will notch 25 to 35 goals this season, providing he stays fit. Uh, I think he will be, you know, a real force, you know, a real presence of a man, someone that will terrorise defenders, someone that can do all of the things you don't want a player to do. He'll drag you around the pitch, you'll pull, pull into pockets of space. He's always in and around the box when the ball comes in. You know he can attack the ball with his head or with his feet. And he's almost got better feet than you'd expect for someone so physically imposing. He will be uh, a real asset for Chelsea. And um, you can just see with the story there, the fact that he went there before, it didn't work out. They sold him on. He's going back there with a point to prove. You should have never got rid of me. uh, And I'm going to show you why. 
And I think under Thomas Tuchel, um, the chat that you know the Champions League winners with Lukaku in that side will be dominant. And I think Lukaku could be the Golden Boot winner this season. There you go, Sebastian. We've got an answer. <laughs> I, I, I think that's really interesting. That because to say a new signing to come in and get the golden boot straight away is obviously a massive, massive risk. You know, we saw it with Chelsea last year with Timo Werner, who massively struggled and that got publicised. And I think that had an effect on him. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether he gets pushed out to the wing or whether he drops back for Lukaku, because I can't see Tuchel playing two up front together. So, and obviously Lukaku coming in for that amount of money isn't going to get pushed out to the wide. Uh, Werner's pace, it could probably work. Um Looking at transfer windows overall, obviously, we've got to move it back to Villa at some point. How would you rate our window out of 10? Because we've gone and lost our best player, which I'm going to try not to be too bitter about. and But then ended up replacing him with three or four really exciting attacking talents with Emi Buendia, Danny Ings and Leon Bailey. I think those are three players that can score goals and can cause team problems. So... Obviously, Villa will now inevitably be moving away from the uh, relying on Jack Grealish being a one-team man. I think we saw it with his injuries last season where our form just fell off a cliff. So hopefully, if those three can hit the ground running, then we could be in for a successful season. But how would you rate our window so far out of 10 overall? I would go 8.5 out of 10. I think it's been exceptional. Let me tell you this, Sebastian. Jack Grealish will be back at Villa at some stage. I think he will still play for the Villa before he finishes playing. Um, so your icon, your talisman, your hero, the boy that is Villa through and through will be back at the Villa at some stage in his career. So don't worry about that. He's got an opportunity to go and win some silverware, challenging the Champions League, win the Premier League. You know for a fact Man City are going to win the League Cup. So by March, you'll have a League Cup winner's medal. Um, uh, so I, I think, you know, Villa fans should be, should be proud of the part they've played in his career. And they should be excited about what he can go and achieve. And, you know, what does that say about Aston Villa? It's almost like the, the project at Aston Villa that they, they're clearly building, which is really exciting, by the way. It almost feels like it's just come a couple of years too late for, for Jack. Jack's ready to go and challenge for Premier League titles and win and win silverware and play in the Champions League. You get the feeling that if the Villa project keeps going in the same direction it is now, that that's where Villa will be in a couple of years' time. Um, so, yeah, don't worry about losing Jack. Really interesting uh, summer for, for Aston Villa. The great thing is they've identified what they wanted and they've gone and got it. And you saw straight away, you know, when the bid went in for, for Emil Smith-Rowe at Arsenal, you went, oh, hello, there's only one player that he's replacing and it's Jack Grealish. And then, of course, James Ward-Prowse. Uh, and then, of course, the, the, the three players they, they got in. Um, really fascinating video from Christian Perslow, who completely explained the situation, the mindset, the thinking. And that openness and transparency was brilliant to see. I think every single football fan looked at that and went, oh, I wish my club was like that. I wish, I wish we knew what was going on in the boardroom. And now you do. And, and everyone knows that that decision for Jack was, was a difficult decision. No, no question about how tough that would have been for him to make. Um, but like I said, he'll be back. So they've replaced Jack with three players, which 
I think says everything you need to know about Jack's quality. Um, and I also think it, it, it's, it's quite fascinating. Imagine being one of those players that comes into Villa being told that you're, you're a third replacement for Jack Grealish. Um, so, um, yeah, I know Danny Ings. Uh, I've watched Danny Ings for Bournemouth under-18s. I watched him break into the first team. I watched him develop as a player on and off the pitch. Got a huge opportunity at Burnley. An even bigger chance at Liverpool, which didn't work out because of injuries. And he came back down south and, and got fit and uh, and scored a bag load of goals for Southampton. So, you know, an exciting opportunity for him at a club that's going forward. Um, so I know that Danny Ings is a player that will add a tenacity, a work rate, an energy and someone that will get goals. That's great. Um, Emi Buendia is another player, um, hugely gifted technically, someone that wants to get on the ball, someone that can make things happen, someone that can spot passes, open up defences, nick goals, chip in with assists and pro provide a, a real flair through the middle of the park. Uh, and there's no question he will be a, a really exciting player for Villa this season. Leon Bailey's the one I don't know a lot about, but obviously you, you know that he's coming from, from an exciting league. He's um, a player that will be a little bit of an unknown for Aston Villa fans and for other sides in the Premier League. Um, but, you know, with the way that Villa like to recruit, they're very rarely wrong. They've not got many wrong over the course of the last few years. So you have to back Dean Smith and those people at the football club that he will be another asset for, for Aston Villa once again. Uh, so you, you have to get excited about Aston Villa. You have to believe that the direction they're going in is the right one. This feels like, for me, an incredible time to be a Villa fan. If they finish outside of the top seven or eight, you'd be surprised. You'd have to probably put your sensible hat on and go, right, top 10 this season is, is great. Then next season, we want to be into the top, top seven or eight. Um, you know, this is a project. And of course, you know, Leicester City, uh, the, you know, the top six, Everton, you know, it's so difficult to finish in the top half of the Premier League these days. Uh, you know, that in itself is an achievement, um, particularly if you're, you're, you know, one of those sides outside of the top six. So this is this is great business by by Villa. I think, you know, clearly, you know, I, I couldn't give him 10 out of 10, Sebastian. You know, if I give him a 10 out of 10, then where's the improvement? There's always room to improve. Um, but it's been a really solid window. They've got their business done early. They've identified the players that they wanted. They've gone out and got them and they've backed Dean Smith. They've spent some of the Jack Grealish money. Uh, and now it's a case of sit back, get the popcorn out and see what the Villa can achieve. It's interesting you say that because obviously you said you've mentioned uh, noticing Ings at Bournemouth under-18s and watching him closely. Do you think him and Watkins could form an interesting partnership? I think we saw it with Southampton. Ings and Shea Adams almost um, worked well brilliantly. I think Ings almost helped Shea Adams because Adams had a tough first year in the Prem, I think I remember. And then last season, he seemed to blossom. Do you think how much of that could be down to Ings? And then again, do you think could what could Watkins go another step up due to Danny Ings' presence? Absolutely. I think, you know, Danny Ings has always played well with a big man. He's always played with someone else, um, which might give you an indication as to how Aston Villa might set up. They might go old-fashioned. You know, they might go back to 1998 and play two strikers up front, um, you know, one off the other. Um, Danny Ings is a player that, 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 that thrives off of kind of work rate, falling into the channels, picking up pockets of space, working off someone else. We've also seen for Southampton he can do it on his own. Um, 
so that's so that's you know that's that's what what, what could be really exciting. And we've seen him score bags of goals in a team that weren't particularly strong. So you put him into a stronger side, the chances are he'll pick up some more goals uh, as well. He was so close to that England setup. He was so close to to being a contender for the Euros. So you're going to have a player there that wants to prove Gareth Southgate wrong this season. If he can go and score a hatful of goals and finishes the the English top goal scorer, uh, then then Danny Ings will be will be a real asset for Villa, and, and, that, and that's what you want. You know, you want players in those forward positions that are hungry and desperate to score and assist and be a part of the team, uh, and and that's what you've got in Danny Ings. Yeah, definitely. And the last question that I'm going to leave you with is quite an interesting one. Obviously, Villa's defence improved massively last year and was a catalyst to our success. Obviously, Martinez coming in and then our back four gelling. How likely is it, do you think, that they will have such a good season and again off the back of last season? Because you you see some teams that have a really good season for whatever reason and then crumble the next. And you also see teams that can build on their successes. But looking at just our defence, how pivotal is it that we maintain our good record at the back and how likely is it that we do it again for another season running? I think you speak to any manager and the, the first thing they will always think about when it comes to, to tactics and setting up a team is let's be difficult to beat. Let's not concede goals. Let's be really solid at the back. You've got a solid goalkeeper now. You've got a solid back four. If you've got that base and that strength and that structure at the back, you know for a fact that the players going forward aren't going to be worried about their defensive duties because they know we're cool. We've got five people back there that can shut the ball out. And that's key for us to be able to go and be free and go and do what we do best going forward. I think, you know, you'll you'll see an Aston Villa side that are improved defensively. You know, they're strong, they're difficult to break down and they won't concede many goals. It'd be interesting to see the effect of having no John Terry um, at the football club. Clearly, he would have been, you know, working heavily with those, those defenders. Uh, and I think there's a really nice balance defensively with that Villa back line. You know, you've got players that can get forward, that can, can add to the attack, but they've also got pace and energy so they can get back in, tuck in and defend when, when, when needed. Um, I think that's the, the one thing, you know, Dean Smith will, will say to those Villa players over the course of the summer before the season starts, right, we want 20 clean sheets this season. That's the target. We want to be solid at the back. We don't want to concede more, more goals than what we did last season. We want to concede less goals. We want to be tight. We want to be difficult to break down, uh, but we want to have that flair and charisma going forward. Uh, and all of that starts off from a really solid base. I think that, you know, they're clearly... You know, they've not not lost anyone that they wouldn't want to lose at the back. Um, they've lost Jack, which obviously affects things in a further advanced position. So, so in theory, Aston Villa defensively should be better this season than they were last season. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, see how that works out. But clearly the players they've all signed have got an emphasis of going forward. So will that change the dynamic of the way Dean Smith sets up the, the side? Um, will it naturally evolve into a more attack-minded team or a counter-attacking team? We'll have to wait and see. So I think that's where we'll call it a day on grilling Mark. I think he deserves to go and have a bit of time off from my voice. I think he'll be hearing that in his nightmares now. 
just asking him who's going to be top scorer and who's going to finish where. <laughs> um, make sure to check out his Instagram link of Mark McAdam TV. Obviously, his show on Sky, The Boys of 96, which was aired throughout the Euros, was massively successful as well. So make sure to check him out on TV and he will be covering the football on Soccer Saturday. Uh, throughout the Premier League down to League Two for the rest of the season. Make sure to go and check him out and email us your thoughts in as well on how you think he did, on how you enjoyed the podcast and anything you'd change. Obviously, DM me on Twitter, which is Sebastian Bacon 8 and obviously follow us, 7500 to Halt and Up the Villa. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.